I had a conversation with someone the other day that I never quite had before. I thought it was pretty unique the way he came at this idea with his perspective. He said this to me. I got all my T's and I got all my I's. I don't have them crossed or dotted, but I got them. And he was happy about it. I got all my T's and I, I got all my I's. I don't have them crossed, but I got them. And he smiled at me with a, a big smile. And all I could think of was, what are you talking about? You're supposed to have them crossed. You're supposed to have them dotted. That's the whole point of T's and I's. You got to have them crossed. You got to have them dotted. That's how life is. But so often we don't have them crossed and we don't have them dotted. How do you get your relational T's and I's crossed and dotted? I watch a show religiously that's about crossing T's and dotting I's and T's that, that aren't crossed and I's that aren't dotted. And the show is called This Is Us. And I spotted a bus going down one of the streets in the theater district in just off of Times Square a couple years ago. It was a This Is Us bus. And they had the characters' pictures plastered all over it. And, and I can hear that theme music rolling in the background because I watch this show every week. And when it, when it ends and the season ends and there's this big hiatus, it's like I, I agonize for when it's going to come back. How many of you watch This Is Us? Okay, good. This Is Us fans, yes. So we, we go, you know, we, we must like to torture ourselves, right? Because we go 40 years into the future. You're like, what in the world is going on? 25 years into the past. And that happens in like three minutes. You know, and then somebody's crying their eyes out, boo-hooing. And then somebody's like finding a new love. Then you go back to when they're dating. Then you go back to when the kids are little. The kids are big. You know, and, and, and like last, last week, they were all at the pool. And even while they were at the pool, they had flashbacks to when they're all grown up. And, 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 and it's just like, your head is like spinning. You know, I keep eating more goldfish and peanuts. And it's like, I'm crunching and I'm trying to hold on. Like, what is going on? I'm holding on for dear life with This Is Us. But sometimes they have their their T's crossed, and sometimes they have their I's dotted, and sometimes they don't, and sometimes they move to Philadelphia, and you don't know why they're moving to Philadelphia. You know, just get out, go back to New Jersey, and, and it's just like wild. It's wild. But I have a sneaky suspicion that we like to watch it, and I like to watch it, because it's like looking in a mirror. We don't have a lot of our T's crossed, and we don't have a lot of our I's dotted, and so it's kind of like watching our lives in a show going, this is us. This is kind of how it works. You know, I've taught about relationships for a long time because I'm fascinated by relationships. God is a relationship that we enjoy, and God is a relationship that also takes us through the valley of the shadow of the questions where we have so many T's that aren't crossed and so many I's that aren't dotted and we can't figure it out. And so we pray and we pray and we pray. And also in relationships, we find out how much we do not know. And also in relationships, we find out what is really going on sometimes behind the scenes or behind the curtain of what appears to be our Christian walk or our Christian lives. And sometimes behind the scenes looks messy. 
and sometimes behind the scenes is broken, and sometimes behind the scenes is discombobulated. Whether you're in a Bible study or whether you're in a men's breakfast or whether you're going on a mission trip, you can't get away from the fact that, that a lot of this broken road stuff is part of everyday life. And so I, I, I'm committed to helping you figure that out, and I've been committed to that for a long time. And so I want to show you some places in the Bible where people didn't have T's crossed and people didn't have I's dotted. And I want to give you a paradigm for how you can move forward, for how you can find that place where God will bless your broken road. Last week or the week before, I, I talked about a, a short story in, in the book of Nehemiah. And I only mentioned one little part of one little verse, but this story is profound in its implication of crossing T's and dot and I's. This is the reality of our lives. Nehemiah chapter 5. A great protest was mounted by the people, including the wives, against their fellow Jews. Now when it says fellow Jews, it just means the community in which they lived, the culture in which they were growing up in. They were all doing life together, supposedly, but something wasn't right. A great protest was mounted. Some said, we have big families and we need food just to survive. Others said, we're having to mortgage our fields and vineyards and homes to get enough grain to keep from starving. And others said, we're having to borrow money to pay the royal tax on our fields and vineyards. Look, we're the same flesh and blood as our brothers here. Our children are just as good as theirs. Yet here we are having to sell our, sell our children off as slaves. Some of our daughters have already been sold, and we can't do anything about it because our fields and vineyards are owned by someone else. So the community was not functioning like a community after all. When you peeled off the layers and when you went behind the curtain, there was stuff going on that was broken. And lots of T's weren't crossed and lots of I's weren't dotted. And it was all about me. It was all about what am I getting out of this. And yeah, I believe in God and I trust God. But on the earth here, I got to take, take care of who I am. I got to make sure I get my stuff. Nehemiah says this next. I got really angry when I heard their protest and complaints. After thinking it over, I called the nobles and officials on the carpet. I said, each one of you is gouging his brother. Because you had, you had a situation here where the wealthy were taking advantage and being onerous upon the poor. Then I called a big meeting to deal with them. I told them, we did everything we could to buy back our Jewish brothers who had to sell themselves as slaves to foreigners. We did everything we could to make them free again. And now you're selling these same brothers back into debt slavery? Does that mean that we have to buy them back again? He's going, help me to make sense of this, people. Does this make any sense to you? They said nothing. What could they say? What you're doing is wrong. Nehemiah says, what you're doing is wrong. Is there no fear of God left in you? When it says fear of God, it means, is there no reverence for God? Is there no understanding of the God who, who saved us and who has created a future and a hope for us? Don't you really 
want to worship him with all your heart because it doesn't look like, like you're doing that? Is there no fear of God left in you? Don't you care what the nations around here, our enemies, think of you? People are looking at us. And we're not being a great example of who God is. I and my brothers and the people working for me have also loaned them money. So he gets very vulnerable. But this gouging them with interest has to stop. Give them back their foreclosed fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes right now. And forgive your claims on their money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. And what's Nehemiah saying here? He's saying, we got to cross some T's here. We got to dot some I's. We got to get rights. We got to be doing the right thing and living the right thing and, and worshiping in the right way. They said, we'll give it all back. We won't make any more demands on them. We'll do everything you say. Because they knew. They knew what was really happening in their lives. Then I called the priests together and made them promise to keep their word. Then I emptied my pockets, my pockets, turning them inside out, and said, So may God empty the pockets and house of everyone who doesn't keep this promise. Turned inside out and emptied. Everyone gave a wholehearted, yes, we'll do it, and praised God. And the people did what they promised. And when you look at this, you begin to, to delineate a paradigm, uh, something that is easily followed that you see over and over and over again, repeated in scriptural relational debacles. You see it over and over again in our own lives. You see it in the news all the time. And here's that paradigm. Protest. There's a protest. Anger. And anger always covers something. Anger says, there's something wrong. What is wrong? And when you peel back the anger, you see what is wrong. And it's usually over true injustice. There's something that is truly out of whack, that has to be fixed, has to be put right. T's have to be crossed. I's have to be dotted. Or sometimes anger is deceptive, and it's your opinion of injustice, which might not be injustice at all. It just might be you don't want to change. So you have to be careful sometimes with anger. When it's, when it's over true injustice, you're on the right track. When it's only an opinion of injustice, it might be a smoke screen, and you're going, yeah, it's your fault. Yeah, you know, leave me alone. You know, you're not being fair. You know, but really it's about something much different than that. But you have protest. You have anger. Then you have a meeting. Then you have reality. This is what reality is. Nehemiah lays out reality. He says, we've got to cross these T's. We've got to dot these I's. We've got to get back to doing what's the right thing here. And then you have resolution. There's that promise. And, okay, we're going to do it. Let me give you another view of relational process. This one is from the New Testament. And it's a short little book. It's a letter of Paul. It's called Philemon. I'll pick it up at verse 8. Therefore, although in Christ... I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. See, there was some injustice here that, that Paul's trying to get at here. Therefore, 
Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as, it is as none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and to me. And you know the story probably. Onesimus was a slave. He ran away. So now Paul meets up with him down the road, and, and, and he and Paul become friends. And, and here's his story. And Paul says, oh, hey, I know Philemon. I can write him this letter. We can bring this together. So his, his appeal here, the protest is the appeal and the meeting is the letter. And then he kind of lays out reality. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So he's announcing the reality of this, this man who was a slave is now a brother. The reality is, in Christ, we are all the same. That's the reality Philemon, and so what are we going to do about that? The question kind of hangs in the air. What are we, what are we going to do? So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I'm not going to mention that you owe me your whole self, but I'm mentioning it. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And that's the resolution. You know, Paul knows that he's going to do even more than what he's asking. So you have the protest, which is his appeal. I appeal to you on the basis of love. You have the meeting. The meeting is actually the letter. The reality is describing uh, you know, Onesimus in these new terms. He's not a slave. He's really a brother. Here's reality. And then the resolution. I know that it's going to work out for your benefit and my benefit and the benefit of Onesimus. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells a parable, and we see the same paradigm. It begins at verse 21. At that point, Peter got up the nerve to ask, Master, how many times do I forgive a brother or sister who hurts me? Seven and, of course, Peter's thinking, that's a lot of times to forgive. And Jesus replied, seven, hardly, try 70 times seven. The kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. As he got underway, one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of $100,000. He couldn't pay up. So the king ordered the man, along with his wife, children, and goods, to be auctioned off at the slave market. The poor wretch threw himself at the king's feet and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it all back. Touched by his plea, touched by his plea, the king let him off, erasing the debt. 
The servant was no sooner out of the room when he came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him $10. He seized him by the throat and demanded, pay up now. I want to go to Starbucks now. <laughs> 10 bucks. The poor wretch threw himself down and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it all back. But he wouldn't do it. He had him arrested and put in jail until the debt was paid. When the other servants saw this going on, they were outraged and brought a detailed report to the king. The king summoned the man and said, you evil servant, I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asked for mercy? The king was furious and put the screws to the man until he paid back his entire debt. And that's exactly what my Father in heaven is going to do to each one of you who doesn't forgive unconditionally anyone who asks for mercy. There's protest. There's anger. There's a meeting. There's reality. And there's resolution. People got to learn to cross their T's and dot their I's. And I'm guessing today that you have some to cross and to dot. This happens in, in everyday life all the time. On the front page of the New York Times the other day, I read this story. Wealth keeps museums alive and galvanizes activists too. Front page, New York Times, last Thursday. Warren Canders, a vice chairman of the Whitney Museum of American Art, had just been driven out by a cascading protest over his company's sale of law enforcement and military supplies. One of his fellow trustees was livid. You have protest, you have anger. So hours after Mr. Canders resigned, his friend, Mr. Griffin, a hedge fund titan and one of the world's richest men, followed him out the door, quitting in outrage. We are outraged over this. Before lunchtime, the Whitney had lost two major benefactors. These were the big givers. These were the big donors. And a museum like the Whitney Museum needs big donors to keep it going. And these guys just walked out the door. They are hot. But Mr. Griffin changed his mind after the Whitney's powerful chairman emeritus phoned him to coax him back. There is the meeting. That meeting happened over the phone. Protest, anger, meeting. They talked about reality and there was resolution. The former president of Lincoln Center commented in the article, there is a slippery slope if you get very precious about holding a litmus test for service on the board. This can be stretched to the point where it becomes very difficult to attract and retain board members. Reality, let's get this resolved. Protest, anger, meeting, reality, resolution. It was in the Bible, Nehemiah, Philemon, Matthew 18. It's on the front page of the newspaper. You see it every day on breaking news. It's in our lives too, my friends. It's in our lives too. So what do we do about it? John Townsend has just written a great book. It's just out recently. It's called People Fuel. And I've known John for a long time. He's written a lot of great books over the last, say, boy, at least 30 years to my count, maybe a little bit more. Uh, John Townsend works with Henry Cloud. They have a great program on the West Coast 
It's called Ultimate Leadership, and they take you through a lot of the leadership and relationship dynamics that you need to know to have a life that works and a life that makes a difference. Um, I recommend the book highly. I'm only going to be able to get to a snippet of it this morning. Uh, but he says this. Everything significant starts with relationship. At the end of the day, your faith, your family, your work, and your leadership are all based on who you relate to and how you relate. Think how energized you are when you are around someone who gets you, who gets you and encourages you. It's like guzzling an energy drink and rebooting yourself. Now think of the opposite experience, that person who drained you or worse, was overly negative toward you. For me, the feeling after that encounter is that I'm walking through sludge. So I have learned to embrace the first and as much as possible avoid the second. He, in his book, sort of the core of the book are these four quadrants. He calls them the four quadrants of relational nutrients. And a quadrant is just sort of like a fancy social science construct. It just means uh, draw a straight line down the middle of the paper, draw a line, you know, this way, and, and then you've got four windows here, or four quadrants, and then each one has a purpose and a meaning, and then you put them all together, and you've got this pattern that you can focus on. It's, it's, it's just an easy way to organize thinking. So the four quadrants of relational nutrients, and I have a copy of that out at the uh, Connect Center if you want to pick it up afterwards so you can look at it and study it. Quadrant one, be present. Being present in relationship. This is about acceptance, validation, and identification. So it's, you, you're willing to sit, you're willing to listen, you have good eye contact. Uh, you know, I read a book a long time ago and said one of the greatest ways to be a parent is just to make good eye contact with your child, to sit and let your child know that you're really looking at them. Um, validation, figuring out what is good right now, figuring out what is good and being able to state what is good somewhere, somehow there's, there's something good. And identification is being willing to share a story of you know, where you are right now and you kind of feel stuck or you're kind of anxious or you don't know what to do. That's exactly where I was 20 years ago. I got to do that the other day with somebody who was uh, 19 going on 20. I was able to say, I was right there when I was 20, and I got to share my story. And so that's identification. It's coming alongside in a positive way. Quadrant two, convey the good, affirmation, hope, and forgiveness. Uh, again, you affirm what is positive, that is obvious. You posit a hope that's in the future, that is a preferred hope and a preferred direction and something that is, is, is blessed by God. And then if forgiveness needs to be offered, you offer your forgiveness. Or if forgiveness needs to be asked for, you ask for forgiveness. So quadrant one and quadrant two are foundational and those are really good parts of the equation that you kind of slip into and, and it makes things go a little bit better. Quadrant three now gets a little more dicey. 
perspective, insight, confrontation. Okay, because you now have a foundation of something that's more uh, affirmational, now you can say, let me give you my perspective on what's going on. Because everybody has blind spots, and one of the blind spots that I'm really seeing here, and, and you know we've known each other for a long time, is this. And I see this pattern, and it repeats over and over and over again, and you always want to blame somebody, but really it's not about blaming somebody out there. It's about seeing that it's kind of something that's coming out of you. Now, why is it coming out of you? We're not sure yet. We can maybe figure that out. But that's my perspective. And let me give you some insight. When you settle down and start thinking about where that's coming from, you're going to start to feel a lot better. You might feel worse at first, but then you're going to feel better. And let me challenge you, confront you, that the rest of your life kind of depends on taking a look at that blind spot. Quadrant four is a call to action. Advice, structure, challenge. If in this relationship the person's now open to taking a look at something, then you can say, okay, let me tell you how I did that. Let me give you some advice of the, this, this is the call that you have to make. This is the program I'd like you to, to take a look at. Uh, maybe it's that ultimate leadership thing out there that John Townsend and Henry Cloud have several times during the year. Uh, let me tell you about the structure that you need because all discipline for the moment is not joyful but is sorrowful yet in the end. To those who have been trained by it, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Hebrews 12, 11, that's a structure verse that's in scripture. And then let me challenge you to make a commitment to, to being the best you that you can be, to getting to a place where you can cross all your T's and dot all your I's and feel confident about your maturity in Christ and you're growing and you're not being just an immature, superficial Christian. You're being somebody who has depth and you've learned what your gifts are. You know what your passion is and, and God's showing up in your life all the time. Quadrants one and two are about the present. It's about what's happening right now. Quadrants three and four are about the future. Quadrants one and two are about grace. And we all like grace. Quadrants three and four are about tough love. And then John tells us about something he calls the ouch factor. Remember the ouch factor. We all need the truth from its various sources to be the people we were designed to be. We all need the truth. But let's face it. Most of us are more comfortable with receiving grace than with hearing truth. We don't wake up in the morning thinking, it will be an awesome day if people confront me with a lot of truth. We may value truth, but there's also an ouch factor. That is one reason grace is so important, as it delivers enough safety and acceptance for us to be able to digest the truth. Remember, that truth without grace can be judgment and condemnation. But grace without truth can become licentiousness and irresponsibility. God requires both elements. Grace, truth. You've got to have them both. You've got to work the quadrants.
you got to cross your T's and, and dot your, your I's. And then he gives us these three words that encapsulate it all. And we've already talked about grace and truth. But he has a third word. Grace, truth, time. Time. Time is the key factor because you're not going to be mature in Christ this afternoon. You're not going to walk out of here and cross all your T's and dot all your I's. You're going to take some time to figure that out. You're going to take some time to talk to somebody about it. And over a period of time, God has a way of building the character of Jesus Christ into us. But it takes time. It takes more time than we even think. We, we increase in maturity, but we're never fully mature because we're human beings. We have broken roads. We have T's that, that we struggle across. We have eyes that we don't want to think about dotting, but we can still over time see change take place because one day, one day, time is going to end. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. By numbering your days, you're realizing that, you know, there's a day when it's all going to end. I did two funerals this weekend. So time went on and on for this gentleman. And then about a week ago, it ended. Time went on and on and on for 99 years for this lovely, gracious woman. And then a few days ago, it came to an end. But this gentleman, uh, I had an opportunity to, to hear a story from his wife that just spoke very loudly about time and about life. So let me tell you that story. She met him in middle school. And when she saw him in middle school, she kind of knew he was the one. Who knows that middle school? I, I don't know. But she knew he was the one. You know, and, and, but he had another girlfriend, and I think he was a year older than her, and so they just went on, and she, she kind of got to be friends with him in high school, and they were really good friends in high school. Just got to be really good friends, but he had another girlfriend, and that was it, and he's on that, on that trajectory. And then about midway through high school, I guess she was a sophomore and he was a junior, his girlfriend with her family they were, they, were, they were living in Maryland somewhere. His girlfriend with her family moved to Hawaii in the 60s. That's about as far away as you can move. You know, in the 60s, you didn't get to Hawaii too easily. So all of a sudden, she moves to Hawaii. You could hear the hallelujah chorus in the background. <laughs> and, and, and so she realizes, you know, maybe, maybe. So, but he comes to her. And he has his bank book. He was a very thrifty guy, saved a lot of money, liked to buy cars and, and do things, even in high school. So he, he sits down with his friend, and he shows her his bank book, and he has saved up the amazing sum in 1967, I guess, of 700 and some dollars. He shows her the bank book. You know, today's dollars, that's got to be several thousands of dollars. Uh, and he asks his friend a question. What should I do? I have this money. I can buy a ticket to Hawaii. 
with this money. Or I can buy a 1966 canary yellow Ford Fairlane, four-door sedan with this money. What should I do? She's his close friend. She looks at the bank book and she says, buy the car. <laughs> and time starts at that moment. At that moment, time like starts all over again. And time becomes joining the Navy and time becomes having children and time becomes a career at Xerox and, and time becomes grandchildren and time becomes and time becomes growing and understanding what God does with you when you give your life to him. And then time ends. But if you've done that work, it's been a good life. And if you've given your heart to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then time ends never ends and that's what I said at the graveside I said all good stories come to an end but this one this one has a mysterious end because it's an end that is also a beginning you've got to learn how to cross your T's and you got to learn how to dot your I's there's something really important going on with your life. It's bigger than you know. It's bigger than you understand. God wants to do some great things with you and in you and through you and for you, but you got to get in the game too. You got to do the work that is the important work to do. So don't forget, don't forget to cross your T's and dot your I's. Don't forget that that's something that God needs you to do. People got to learn to cross their T's and I's. I'm guessing today that you have some T's and some I's to cross and dot. Dear Heavenly Father, allow us the humility to know which T has to be crossed today in a relationship, which I has to be dotted today in a relationship. Allow us to step into an ouch factor somewhere. Uh, allow us to, to not just you know, want the grace side of the equation, but to also want the truth side of the equation. Father, do something amazing when we show up. When we show up and we love you. When we show up and we love our brother, our sister, our friend, our coworker. Father, just show up in all these relationships. We give them to you. In Jesus' name, amen.